Eric and Candace have come to visit us every year of our existence, usually our first speaker of the year, and so they're end of the school year this year. And as you know, um, Eric and Candace are the senior pastors of Bethel Redding, and uh, so it's a blessing to have them here. We got family in the house, and I really, I, I want to highlight Candace today in the introduction She's just agreed to serve on our board and will be the chairman of the board of elders for Bethel Atlanta going forward. So would you guys rise and welcome Eric and Candace Johnson as they come. Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Hello. Thank you, thank you. Yes, we do love family. When you guys are a family. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm, we got enthusiasm you. Enthusiasm over there. <laughs> I love it. Oh, it's so wonderful to be here. We love you guys. We love your leadership. And um, we always have so much fun when we come out here. Because you guys are just cool. You know, like, I'm glad that we're family. Because you guys are the cool southern sweet part of our family. There's something different. Like, northern California is good. It's real. It's, the people are great. Wait, when you come southern, it's just a little friendlier. It's, you, guys are, you guys are good at hospitality. You're good at loving well. So thank you for being our friendly family. No, we're friendly. They're, you're sweet. Maybe it's sweeter, like your tea. Sweet. There it is. You know, we've been coming quite a while, um, maybe eight, nine years. Our, um, one of the first trips that Eric took out here, we had little girls. And I know it's been a long time because our girls are not so little anymore. When they were younger, it was one of the special things that we would do is um, every once in a while, um, you'd go on an individual trip with daddy. So, um, and that was without mom. And when you're little, that's kind of a big thing, you know, to go without mom, just with dad. I'm curious what they would eat, you know, those kind of things. I'm sure very well. No, they would tell me. <laughs> they fed it well. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Kennedy, our oldest, went with Eric on one of his first trips. And I think she was in second or third grade. And I remember she just talked. I mean, everything was wonderful. The Hales were the coolest people in the world. And their dogs were cool. Yes, they are. They are. You guys are very, very blessed to have amazing pastors. And um, so she came back just talking about how wonderful Steve and Lindy were and how they doted on her and just took such good care of her. And um, we just were going, man, they are going to be the best grandparents. Because at that time, they didn't have any grandchildren yet. And I come here this morning and their cutest little grandkids are all dancing around us. And I'm like, gosh, God is so good. You know, and over, the, over time, just to see how things grow and develop and I just want to say that you guys have grown into just the most beautiful, beautiful church, a beautiful family, and it's so fun to be here, and I love talking about your building. I'm like, good job leading them, Steve. Good job, you know, you guys are going to get there, and I went to your, all the offices that are there, and man, jealousy isn't good, so that's not the word that I would use, but I sat in the offices, and they are so nice. I want offices like those, so I can only imagine what your church is going to be like, so I just say, be strong and courageous. Keep going through the next few months. Your building will come because the God has the most beautiful land for you to dwell on. Yep. <clears throat> and Very it's, good. it's so fun to just see yep. what God's doing here, isn't yeah, it? It is. It yeah. Is. So Eric is going to speak this morning. I just say, put your seatbelt on right now. Whoop. 
you're going for a ride. God has good stuff for you this morning. Don't miss it. It's going to be a lot, so, you know, maybe take some notes. And um, I'm just going to pray for you, and um, we'll call it good, yeah? So thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. Teacher, thank you. Yeah, we want everything that you have for us. So I just say, I ask for clarity of mind and spirit right now. Yeah, and that you would um, just speak mm -hmm. directly to each one of us individually. We don't want to miss what you have for us. Yeah. And we bless Eric. I thank you for clarity on him and just a free flow from heaven. Yeah, we just bless this time. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Have fun. Amen. Thank you. We will be celebrating our 20-year anniversary this fall. And so it's a, kind of a big milestone for us. So it's fun to hear you guys in a building project because we are in one as well. And um, we just got news. The price went up about $24 million. So we're like, oh, all right. We thought 60 was or 70 was a lot, and it jumped up to 94. So be praying for us too. It's all relative. The money's relative. So it's... it's it's it, it not the amount. It's like, all right, God, this is what you want us to do. And so we're in process right now building. We're hoping to break ground next year. So we're almost all on the same kind of timeline. It's kind of fun how, how God's doing that. Are you guys excited about your new building? Yeah. Ten of you. The rest of you, are you, are you not excited? Or are you, maybe you like this so much. I don't know. So how many are excited about your new building? Good. Good. Well, well, we will share photos and share stories. You come visit ours, and, and we'll definitely come visit yours. So, all right. Well, we like Candace said, we this is our kind of becoming an annual trip, and we love coming here. This is our actually our second time we've been here in the last month and a half. We had to come out and do some meetings, some uh, leadership meetings out here, and so uh, first time we've been in Atlanta in March, and we normally come out in October, and I can tell you, it looks the same. The same, everything looks the same, so it's amazing. So I don't know if I want to come in the middle of July, August. Is that when Hot Atlanta becomes? Yeah, bunch of babies out here. <laughs> I'm joking. We get a lot of heat in Reading, but we have no humidity, so I'd much rather have that dry heat than what you guys got out here. All right, if you have your Bibles, why don't you get it open to Exodus and uh, we're going to um, jump into the book of Exodus. Um, we, uh, back at home, we've been in the middle of a study around this phrase. And there's this phrase that what I like to do, um, not all the time, but often, I like to read the Bible through a phrase or with a specific question. And it helps me to look at Scripture differently, helps me to study it differently, help, and honestly, it gives a container, if you will, for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. He doesn't need my container, but you know what I mean. It's like, Eric's hungry for this, and we're going to begin, you know, just, just begin to speak to him. And so I love reading the Bible with a question. And one of the, I don't know when this was, but I've known this for my entire life, but Moses was called a friend of God. That, that was like, you know, that's on his gravestone. I doubt he had the gravestone, but if you would put a quote on his gravestone, it would be friend of God. How many would like that, have that on your gravestone? It's different when you say, God's my friend, than when God says, you're my friend. And that's what it was with Moses, that God said, that's my friend. And uh, my goal in life is for God to say, Eric is my friend. And, it, and it's, really, it's really, I believe, it's the desire of every person in this room. 
And so David with another man in Scripture that was associated with another phrase, and that's for another time, but his phrase was he was a man after God's heart. And um, there's some beautiful things in there that I know at some point I actually want to dive back into that. I did a little bit of years ago, but I want to dive back into that. But recently I just kept thinking about this. Moses was called a friend of God. And what we often do when we hear phrases like that or man after God's heart, is we go, yep, that's it, that's Moses. And so what I like to do is ask the question, why? Why was Moses considered a friend of God? So that's launched us into kind of a journey back home, taking our whole church through, through the study of what it means to be a friend of God. So I want to do that today. I don't have multiple weeks to do that. So I kind of want to just kind of cover a big chunk of Scripture and um, just talk a little bit about why was Moses called a friend of God? And my, honestly, my ultimate aim, my ultimate goal today is to inspire something in you, to catalyze something in you where you begin to go on this quest of what does it mean and what is it that made Moses a friend of God? And honestly, at the end of that, that you will walk away with, man, that is my ultimate aim in life, is to talk face-to-face with God as a friend. And so that's what I want to do today. So if you have your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter, the very end of chapter 2. We're going to spend a little bit of time in chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3 and chapter 4, and then we're going to jump kind of hopscotch and big chunk all the way to chapter 33. We won't read all of that. We don't even have enough time to actually read all that. But I want to just, if you allow me to kind of um, just kind of jump around a little bit, I'm going to act on the premise that most people are aware who Moses is and was. And if you are unaware who Moses was, Moses was a man that was called by God to set a nation free that had been in bondage and slavery for around 430 years. And uh, the Exodus covered um, Numbers, uh, Leviticus. There's a lot of stuff in those books that talk about that journey. But Exodus, the reason why the book was named Exodus because that's when they exited Egypt. And so we're going to kind of talk about this and this whole relationship between God and Moses. But before we go there... Um, in chapter 2, starting in verse 11, we'll read that in just a moment. Here's the premise of chapter 1 up to chapter, verse 11 of chapter 2. This is what's taken place. It, that the nation of Israel had been in bondage and slavery for almost 400 years by the beginning of this book, roughly. And there's, a, there's an interesting verse in there. It's in here. I won't take time to read it. We talked about... The Hebrew women are, are multiplying. Like the men and women, they're, they're getting busy and they're multiplying and having lots of children. And, um, and it's causing a problem. They're multiplying so much that their, their population is swelling to the point that the Egyptians who have them in slavery are getting concerned. And so Pharaoh issues this decree and basically um, the decree is to kill all the newborn boys and so went around, imagine that. We think, I mean, that's just horrendous to think of. And so Moses' mother um, does what any mother would do. It tries to save their boy. And she it called a woman of faith in the book of Hebrews. But when you actually read the story in the Old Testament, in this book, it's phenomenal to me that, that what she did was called an act of faith. Now, it was an act of faith because God says it was an act of faith, but she did something that I believe was very illogical, irrational, but she had no other option, and that was to put her baby boy named Moses in a basket in a river. 
Now, I know every mom in this room, that would be the last thing on your list of saving your child. That's not like the top on your list. That is the last option on your list. What did that tell us? That she had no other option but to do that. But God looked at it and said, she's a woman of faith. So she goes down in history as a woman of faith, which I think is a great hope for a lot of us. Sometimes that act of faith isn't the confidence. It is, I have no other option but do this. But God in the end goes, mm, that's faith. You're good to go. So you should be really encouraged is what I'm trying to tell you. And so she puts her baby in the river, and Moses floats just around the corner, apparently. I don't know how far away. And uh, one of Pharaoh's servants, Pharaoh's daughter's servants. And remember, Pharaoh's the one killing the baby boy. And that's the reason why Moses is floating down the river. And Pharaoh's daughter's servant finds the basket, pulls the baby in. That Oh, this is one of the Hebrew boys that they're... That, um, they're trying to save. And long story short, Moses ends up in Pharaoh's house and is raised in Pharaoh's house. Why is this important? Because we sometimes we, we look at stories in the Bible and we just kind of glance over or we just kind of read the fun part. But if we don't have the context, it's actually hard to understand the breadth and the width of what's going on here. And I'm taking my time going through this book to understand how did Moses become such a good friend to God. That, that's the journey I'm on. So we have this Moses. Imagine this. Moses is raised in the highest levels of luxury, highest levels of royalty of that day. He's raised in Pharaoh's house. Imagine the mental, the psychological, the emotional, spiritual tension that that involved. Is that you wake up every morning, you have, you have a garage full of Bentley, Rolls Royces. I mean, you are stocked and loaded forever. I mean, your children, children, is taken care of in every way possible. There's no worry in the world in a material sense. But waking up every morning, looking out your bedroom window and seeing an entire nation in slavery and bondage at your own expense. And it's your people, it's your blood, it's your people, it's your identity, it's your nation. Imagine that. So Moses goes through that for 40 years. He's living in this life. And that's when we come upon this verse 11. So let's read this together in chapter 2. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way, he looked that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did wrong, why are you striking your companion? So here we have Moses. He's been in this life for 40 years, and I personally think that he's been fed up with what he's seeing, but he doesn't know what to do about it. So one day he finds one of his fellow people getting beaten by an Egyptian. And so he looked that way, he looked this way, and he killed the Egyptian, hides them, and then stand thinking, okay, I saved one person. I saved one of my fellow brethren, a Hebrew brethren. The next day, he finds his own people arguing, and he talked to them, and they said, are you going to kill us too? What's the point? This is before social media. This is before people could snap a photo and send it to the world before you finish the photo. I mean, this is way before that. All of a sudden, he realizes his attempt to save one person is now known across an entire land and nation. So he does what anybody does. He takes off. He be now becomes a fugitive for roughly 40 years. So he's around 40 when this happened, and for 40 years, he's in the desert. Now, imagine that. You're a fugitive on the run from the wealthiest, most powerful family that raised you. 
You know, you're looking over your shoulder. You're looking around every boulder, every cactus, every, every, you're looking, when you're watching your flock, you're looking out, making sure no one's coming to kill you. Why? Because you ran for your life and you are now a legitimate fugitive. And that's when we come upon chapter three. Are you guys still with me? I'm giving you a lot of context and we're going to start hitting it home in just a moment. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now let's pause right there. Why? I, I don't want to take any much time on this, but I think it's beautiful. There was another man in the Old Testament named David that was tending his father's flock. It was in that same, same thought, that same reality, that David was called out of that to go give food to his brothers, and we know that story. He runs across Goliath, and that become his day of promotion. Isn't it interesting that it's when guys are watching flocks of sheep that God says, okay, time to promote you. I think there's something in that, and I want to challenge you. Some of the most mundane daily duty that you do are the very things that set you up for promotion. It's important to understand this. I understand we don't live in an agriculture age anymore. We don't live in an era. Nobody's going home after this to watch your flock of sheep. At least I assume so. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me get some water. So this is a, a principle of truth that I want to challenge you with. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's keep reading the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush, so he looked, <clears throat> and behold, the bush was burning with fire, where the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush <clears throat> does not burn. Now, I did a little bit of study. I, I've heard different theories over the years how spontaneous combustion was somewhat of a normal activity in the desert. Like a bush will just start on fire, like out of just spontaneously. And then I've also found that a lot of people said that is complete false. That is not true. That's not, that, that doesn't happen. So I've done enough research to know some people say it happens and others say it doesn't happen. But here's the difference in this story. The bush is talking to you. <laughs> <coughs> That's when you know, okay, that's, that's, that's a different situation. This is not some possibility. When a bush is on fire, which, okay, it's on fire, but when it starts talking to you, then we got, a, we got a very unique situation that's about to unfold. Now, let's keep reading this. So, so when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst. Now, listen, let's be honest here. That is not surprising. If you're walking in the back of the desert, you're by yourself, and a bush is on fire. Who wouldn't look? Which I think is beautiful. God makes himself to be seen so easily. I think we actually have overcomplicated finding God. I think we have made it way too complex, way too complicated to the point that we missed him. I think God wants to be found. He wants to be seen. He's like, have an idea, guy. Let's light that bush on fire, and you go stand in the middle of the bush and talk to Moses. Let's see if that gets his attention. 
Now, you might laugh at it, but I'm being serious. Sometimes we overcomplicate finding God. We like go to the wrong, we like, we just work way too hard and we get so mentally worked up. Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? He's actually right there. He never left you. He actually lives inside of you. He can't, he doesn't leave you and then come back. He is always there. So I'm convinced this is pre-cross, pre-Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, and God wants to be found. So he said, when, when God notices that Moses looked at the bush, God speaks up. I don't think that was novelty. It's like, of course you're going to look at a burning bush, especially when it starts talking to you. <laughs> Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father. So here we have the beginning of a relationship that goes down in history as God's friend. This is the moment right here. And God's first major comment to Moses is, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, one of the things that I, my dad had championed, he's, he championed this for years, and that is a culture of stories and testimonies. Stories and testimony. So much so that we get nothing done in our staff meetings. <laughs> nothing. Our staff meetings are not staff meetings. They're just testimony story meetings. And the last five minutes is, hey, let's talk about our calendar. It's like, ha, oh, five minutes. Okay, that's awesome. So we create other meetings to get work done. Why? Because it's such a strong culture of telling stories and testimony. But sometimes we don't realize how important that is, and sometimes we think, oh, the testimonies are for me so I can get encouraged. Now, that is true. Like some of you get online, you're looking for stories, looking for testimonies on our website. We got a whole testimony page that is stocked with testimonies. We love that. But it ain't for you. It is, but it's not. The whole comment, I am the God of your father, predicates itself on the fact that Moses had heard a story about his father's God. The only way this, that comment worked is God said, oh yeah, all those stories you heard and all the curiosities and wondering about who that was, that was me. So the stories you tell today, the testimonies you share today, is for somebody 200 years from now that is wondering if God exists. It's wondering if God is actually real. And God's going to show up to Johnny or Susan 200 years from now and say, oh yeah, I am the God of that. This is why it is crucial you don't stop telling stories or testimony. Keep spreading it. Because it will eventually creep into the mind of every person alive. And at some point, God can come in and he can predicate himself on that story in their head. Oh, yeah, that one story where that guy had cancer for 40 years. Oh, yeah, that was me. Oh, yeah, that one story we heard about that married couple. They got divorced and they were divorced for 20 years and they decided to get remarried. Yeah, that's me. I'm the God that loves to restore. Oh yeah, that family that lost everything, blah, 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 that was me. Those stories go into people's mind, into their spirit, into their emotions, and God gets ready. He, it's like his stage that he sets up to show up later. So this is why that comment is really crucial. It says, I am the God of your father. All those stories, that's me. So he had his attention. <clears throat> 
Verse 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptian. Now let's jump down to verse 11, or over to verse 11. So God is basically revealing to Moses, I have called you to set nation free, that I have seen no oppression. And look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring out the children of Israel out of Egypt? Okay, I love that because it reveals the naivety, the ignorance, and the unawareness of Moses. Now for us, it's really easy. We're like, oh yeah, Moses, of course Moses is the person. Why is Moses the person? Anytime the devil plays his hand, anytime the devil plays his hand, God's like, oh, you want to play that game? Okay, I'll play my hand. And this hand that the devil played happened 80 years earlier. And the devil's hand that he played 80 years earlier was to put the thought into Pharaoh's head to kill a bunch of newborn boys. And God's like, oh, you want to kill all my people. All right, this is what I'm going to do. And I think this is just me. I think that Michael Gabriel, watch this one. In case you don't know who Michael and Gabriel are, they're kind of really important angels in heaven. <laughs> Michael and Gabriel, watch this. And he takes a guy, a little baby boy named Moses, puts them in a basket, puts them down the river, and allows him to flow into Pharaoh's backyard. The very man that is killing all these. God's like, oh, this is going to be so good. I can't wait till I show the devil my hand. So you let them float, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh goes, yeah, we'll just raise this one. So now Moses is 40 years in the system. Moses under, is now learning the language, learning the culture, how the economy works, how they think, what makes them tick, what makes them upset, what makes them think that some, and he is understanding it. So here we have Moses saying, who am I? And God's like, I chose you 80 years ago. And I put you in Pharaoh's house because I needed you there for a season because you're the one that's going to go back and unravel that entire system. So where does this apply to you? This does not mean you're that current manager or boss is Pharaoh. But some of you are in situations right now and you're whining and complaining about God. Where are you? And God's like, shh, be quiet. The devil played his hand and you're my, you're my answer. Just be faithful in the process and don't worry about it. Some of you really need to hear that right there. You're like, God, it's been six months. It's been 80 years. I've been on the job for three weeks and it's a living nightmare. Are you following me? God knows when to play his hand. Let him play his hand. You don't want to be the one that goes to heaven and goes, yeah, you were going to be Moses, but you, you kind of chickened out. I don't want to be that guy. Wait, wait, wait. I was Moses? Why didn't you tell me? I couldn't. I just needed to see if you're man enough to step up. you got to hear this. We've got to be the least complaining, whining people on the planet about how life is going. And the church is way too known for what's wrong with everything. Instead of just being a Moses, being faithful, and just stepping into the journey and let God play his hand how he wants. 
So when Moses says, who am I? God's like, oh, you are the only one. All right, verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. <laughs> Sorry, I, this story's so funny to me. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, okay, hold on here. Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you, and they say, what is his name? I think that's I think it's just funny. What shall I say to them? Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. Just think about that for a moment. You and I have the luxury of all the word study, the Greek and the Hebrew, the lexicon, the commentaries, and five million sermons on that phrase. So we have, oh, I am, of course, it's God. It's like, it's Yahweh. Moses is like, what? <laughs> I am? That doesn't work. That doesn't, that doesn't suffice. That doesn't complete, that doesn't give me what I need. And God's like, oh yeah, I am. I am who I am. Now here's the problem. This is why we have a hard time with that. Paul actually talked about this in the book of Philippians, and it's the verse that we all use. I am content in Christ. I'm content with Christ. How many have ever read that verse? It's on the right page, left column, about halfway down. <laughs> right there, I can see it in my head. It's in Philippians, I do know that. But what we often misunderstand about that verse, and, and what Paul is actually trying to say, he actually takes a word that is used in a non-Christian context. Uh, in Paul's day, in Philippians, there was a group of people that were called Stoics. And Stoics were identified, they were certain, they weren't so much a sect that I'm aware of, but they were a group of people that society said, oh, those are the Stoics. And the Stoics used that word content. And that word content means they are self-sustained, meaning they don't need anything on the external to maintain the internal. And it was in an ungodly sense, but Paul actually takes that word and said, I am content with Christ. What he is actually trying to communicate in Philippians is this. I am content in Christ because he exists. So what's the difference? Most people, and this is not a negative, this is just a reality and fact. Most believers are content with Christ because of what he has done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he is about to do. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. When somebody does something to you and you're thankful, of course I'm content and happy with that. Who wouldn't be? But what Paul is, he's trying to get down to a deeper level of contentment that it doesn't matter what he does, did or not. It's not about that, it's about that he is. Because because he is I am. So Paul is saying, I'm content with Christ because he exists. So another way of saying that in our day would be, God, if you don't do anything the rest of my life, if you stop doing anything in my life and those around me, I am just content because you're alive, because you exist. And what, what, that is what God is revealing to Moses. This is the earliest, I believe it's the earliest time God reveals himself as I am. And one thing I've learned about this story of Moses and God, and we don't have time to get into today, there are numerous occasions where God is eager to reveal himself. I am God Almighty. I am Yahweh. I'm Jehovah Jireh. God actually needs a situation to reveal himself. We would never know God as Jehovah Jireh if there wasn't a need for provision. Now, I don't know how this works theologically. There's a lot of tension in what I'm about to say, so you're gonna have to cover me with a lot of grace, and you have to go talk to God about this one. But I believe there's actually a truth, and God, God sometimes sets the stage, 
so he can reveal himself. I understand that, that ten, that's a lot of tension in that comment right there, so don't, don't quote me on that, all right? But I want you to explain something. I want to explain something to you. If you have no need for provision, then you would never experience him as Jehovah Jireh. And in God Almighty, in a couple chapters later, he said, okay, you know me as I am, but now you're going to know me as I am God Almighty. Why is that important? Because God was about to show them that I know how to do war and battle. I have a military part of me. Are you following me? So this is, this is the relationship that Moses and God are developing, and God is actually revealing himself to Moses throughout the whole thing. At one point, God said, oh yeah, I'm the banner that flies over you. Okay, God, the banner that flies over me. God is constantly revealing, and one thing I've learned in my studies is that God is so eager to reveal himself. He's like, oh, I can't wait to reveal myself. And sometimes our perception of an Old Covenant, Old Testament God, is God is just angry, angry, angry. I'm finding completely different. I'm finding that God is like, I'm so excited to reveal myself. I can't wait. I'm Jehovah, I'm Jehovah Jireh. Wow, he's Jehovah Jireh. I am God Almighty. I'm Jehovah Rapha. I am who I am. He's wanting to reveal himself to you. So I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Moses, and we don't like that. You know why we don't like that? Because there's no plan attached to that. Where's the funding coming from, God? And the timeline is really important. We're like, when are you going to do this? God's like, I am. Just tell them I am sent you. God, listen, I can't go to them and say, we're going to be free, and you don't give me any, any, any facts, any information. Like, show me, show me something. God's like, no, I am. That's all. That's all you need. <laughs> How many times did God come to us, and yet we fret over the lack of information? And God's like, all you need to know is I am. That's it. <laughs> I can't tell you how much worry in my life is because I forget he is. Yeah. It's because I'm like, when is it going to happen? How much is it going to cost? Who's going to pay for it? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, actually, God's like, no, no, I am. That's all you need to know. That's it. That's all you need to know. You can spend a whole morning on that, but we're going we're gonna to move on. Okay, now go to verse 19 of chapter 3. <clears throat> Have... Yeah, we'll just read it and then I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. But I'm sure, verse 19, but I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. <laughs> Have you, how many have ever been called to something? God, like, and it's going to be really hard. In fact, it's not going to happen. <laughs> That's what's happening here. God's like, got them all, Moses all jacked up, convinced them. He's like, all right, I'm going to be the guy. And God's like, oh yeah, by the way, he's not going to let them go. <laughs> That's what's happening here. But I... I just love, but I'm sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. That doesn't help either. Verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptian, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. Say that with me. You shall not go empty-handed. Say it with conviction. You shall not go empty-handed. That is the entire point of hardening Pharaoh's heart. It's so that you and I do not go into our promise empty-handed. God has no intention of launching you into your promise, and you are worn out, tired, exhausted. You've got zero next to your name. He has no desire to do that. That actually worked against his promises. Yeah. 
So he was like, hey, listen, listen, here's the deal. You're the guy, but they're not going to let you go, even with a mighty hand. But I'll strike them, so that way when you go into your promise, you won't go empty-handed. And look at verse 22. But every woman, why every woman? Because women like to shop. (laughs) Some men do too. Shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwelled near her house. Can you imagine that? Articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. Why is that a big deal? Because more than what you need, you have enough for your entire family. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. One of the things, and we're not going to go into every story, but for the next roughly five to eight chapters, talk about all the plagues. Every morning, Moses, before he would go in to meet with Pharaoh, God would wake him up and say, Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart even harder. Next time it comes around, hey, Moses, this happened at least 10 times, if not even more. But the 10 plagues, every day, before Moses would go into, I'm going to harden. Can you imagine how hard Pharaoh's heart was? I mean, we're talking hard, really hard, callous individual. And it's all for the purpose of this. So you won't go empty-handed and that you will plunder the Egyptians to the point that every woman will go to their neighbor and say, unload your closet, go ahead and put it in the truck. (laughs) That's why the U-Haul business was thriving then. (laughs) So the greater the resistance is the greater the plunder. Say that with me. The greater the resistance, the greater the plunder. That might be helpful to some of you right now. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. Read verse 2. So he said to him, What is that in your hand? A rod. Why is that so beautiful? It was something Moses had in his possession. The very thing that would become a tool, the instrument of breakthrough, of God showing up in some of the craziest signs and wonders was something Moses had already had in his possession. He was a shepherd. It was normal for shepherds to have a rod. Some shepherds would have one rod that would last them their entire life. So I would like to propose to you, this was Moses' rod for the last 40 years since he was a shepherd for the last 40 years as a fugitive. That rod was worn in it has, seen, it has stories to tell in the back of the desert. Isn't it amazing that Moses like, God, how are they going to believe me? God said, what is that in your hand? It was already in his possession. I often wonder how many things are already in our possession. We just don't realize it's God. Yeah. Now, I have no issue with this next comment. Sometimes we go to another conference, another meeting to get something. I believe, it, I believe that's biblical. I believe, I believe it wholeheartedly. But I can't help but think how many of the things that you and I think we need for where we're going, it's already in our possession. What's interesting about this rod, and the rod comes up throughout the rest of Moses' life. It's one of the, one of the craziest, beautiful things. But it was called Moses' rod. But by the time you get to into chapter 4 a little more, it's called God's rod. Isn't that funny? That, isn't that cool? That Something that was Moses', God anointed and said, okay, that's mine now. That when God anoints something in your life, when it says God's thing, that's a really good situation for you. I just want to propose to you that Moses was just faithful for 40 years with this thing. He didn't even know the potential that was in his hand for 40 years. 
And all of a sudden, God said, okay, that's going to be, that's going to be the tool. So the first sign was God said, Moses, throw that rod on the ground. And the rod turned into a snake. Now, that's pretty cool. That's pretty unique. I'm not a fan of snakes or spiders. I, can't, I, don't, I, just, I keep my distance from all of them. But this rod, this rod turned into a snake, and God said, Moses, grab it by the tail. So what I did, I got on Google, and I did a little bit of research just to find out, listen, do you grab snakes by the tail? My mind says, absolutely no. Well, I was, I was confirmed, affirmed in every way on Google. Every blog said, yeah, that's a really bad plan. Do not touch a snake by its tail. In fact, it said snakes actually don't have the muscular strength, not all snakes, have, most snakes don't have the muscular strength to come back and bite the hand that's grabbing it by its tail. So instead, it'll bite something else. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, thank you. You don't just grab a snake by the tail. But Moses does. Isn't that interesting? But look at this moment here. Verse 4, and he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. How many would be that? Yeah, I'm running. I'm out of here. But look what happened next. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. One moment, Moses is running, and then God said, grab it by the tail. Okay. And he grabbed it by the tail. There's a whole lot missing between verse 3 and 4. No man in their right mind is like, no, sorry, I ran. No, I'm good. I, I don't know what that was. No. no. There was a reason why he ran, and something happened in Moses' mind to get him to the point to grab the tail. Are you following me? So I'm like, Moses, there's a missing verse right there. You need to tell me what went down, like what went on there. But here's the thing I noticed, is that one of the reasons I believe that Moses and God were called friends to each other is because when God said do something, Moses does it. That's probably one of the most, if, if, I, if you would ask me, what is one thing, that would be it right there. How did Moses become a friend of God? He actually did what God told him to do. There were some battles here and there. There were some delays. There were some, uh, not now, moments. But in the end, Moses actually does. And I think something in that is worth mentioning in the context of why was Moses a friend of God. Okay, we're going to skip a bunch of this. Let's go to verse Let's go to chapter. I got a few minutes left here, and I want to try to wrap up a couple more thoughts before we're done. And the candidate is going to come up here and pray for you. So, in chapter 12, these are all the plagues are over. They exit Egypt. Now they're in, in the wilderness, the famous place they were for 40 years, a long time. But let's go to chapter 13, verse 17. So now they're, they're on their way out, they're, they're traveling across the wilderness. Then it came to pass, verse 17, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Okay, now most of us understand the story of the Red Sea. That's, that's definitely not like, yeah, that's a good option. Let's go to the Red Sea and let's, let, let, let's back ourselves up to an ocean with the armies of Pharaoh behind us. Yeah, that's a good option. But God said, <clears throat> if I let my people go this way, they're going to see the Philistines, which the scholars tell us was heavily guarded by Egyptians. So they're going to see what they just left, and they will have no desire to fight. Their spirits will be broken, if you will. God said, mm, I, I'm not going to take them that way. I'm going to take them to the Red Sea. Now, logically, I'm like, I'm not sure which one better which one's easier, 
but they both are pretty challenging. What's the point? I don't think we often realize how much the grace of God covers us. I have a feeling you and I are going to get to heaven someday, and God's going to say, come here, go meet me in my home theater. So you're going to step into your home theater, and God says, I want you to sit down for a minute. Hey, Michael, push play. And you're going to watch a video of your entire life, and God's going to say, oh, yeah, that time you didn't know that was going to happen to you, but I redirected your life. You had no idea you were about to die. You had no idea you were about to go off a cliff. You had no idea that you were going to meet that person that would have been bad for you. You had no idea, but my grace covered you. I wonder if we complain about all the stuff we're facing right now, what did we avoid? What did we not get allowed to see? Thank God. So I want to encourage you. Let's stop complaining because that whatever's in front of you right now might be the better option. It might be the very thing that God says, oh, they can handle the Red Sea. So I'll take them that way. Okay, now go, uh, Lord help me. Okay, go to chapter 30. I'm skipping so much. In chapter, we're going to go to chapter 32. But let me make one comment. Exodus 19, there's this phrase that Moses went up to God. And one thing that happened throughout the story, of, specifically in Exodus, is that Moses is constantly going outside the camp and up to God on the mountain. That's important because Moses is actually separating himself from culture. He's separating himself from the buzz of society. He is separating himself from the trending topics, and he is segregating himself, and he is coming before the Lord. There's something in that that I believe is what kind of solidified this friendship with Moses and God. That began to, didn't only start in chapter 19. In the previous chapters, Moses would pitch a tent outside the camp, but then he began to go up a mountain, and he went up and down from this mountain. So we go to chapter 32. Now in verse 1, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come make us God that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And then verse 2, past that point, they basically build an idol. Aaron said, bring me all your earrings of gold. And Aaron fashioned this golden calf and it became an idol of worship. Now, this is quite phenomenal in, in a sad way. They just experienced the 10 plague of God's mighty hand on Pharaoh. They just experienced the grand exodus, and their U-Haul trucks are fully loaded in stock because they're not empty-handed. They just experienced the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted. They walked through it, turned around and walked. The Egyptian followed them, and the Red Sea killed them all. I mean, they have seen God show up. They've been following cloud by, fire, cloud by day, fire by night. It's not like this is their first time they've experienced God. And look what causes them to turn to something as a golden calf, as an idol. It is the most illogical, irrational thing that you would do, especially with what you've just experienced. So it begs the question, how do you get there? How do you actually get to that point where you turn your affection and worship from God to something man-made? And it's in the first verse. They notice Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain. The only reason why the word delayed or the only way delayed actually works is when it doesn't meet your expectation. The nation's expectation was Moses is not on our expectation. He's not on our clock. 
He is not doing it the way we think he should do it. So he is taking too long. There's a difference between expectation and expectancy. And a lot of believers are in expectation mode. When God does not meet my expectation, we all turn to something else to ease the pain. And you'll do something illogical, irrational. I believe everyone in this room has at least one story like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that part of my life. For some reason, I turned to this thing over here or this person or to this substance or to this thing to ease this pain. And I realized that I turned my attention from God. I want to challenge you. I run into this. I've experienced it personally, but I run into it hundreds and hundreds of times in the last 20 years. Of people come to me and say, God didn't do this, this, and this. And I, and I find out that they completely turned to something else to ease their pain. They created their old golden calf to worship. Why, and the, the, the hint is given in this. Aaron, make up the God lowercase g, to go before us. Why is that a key? It's because up until that point, they followed cloud by day, fire by night. They were following something. Every human being on the planet wants to follow something. Everyone. You want something in front of you, going before you. You give all your affection and worship. This is why people do crazy acts of worship, because inside every human being is this desire to follow. And if you don't make God your only aim with a posture of expectancy and you put God in your expectation, you will be discouraged greatly and you'll constantly turn to other stuff to fulfill this need that you have. Are you guys alive? So I want to challenge you. We look at this story and say, who would make a golden calf? That is just crazy. It happens. Irrational, illogical worship happens when God doesn't meet your expectations and you don't manage that well. So I want to challenge you today as I wrap up in just a second. Move out of expectation and move into expectancy. When you're in a place of expectancy, you're t- we're talking about a God that doesn't live according to time. We're like, I got to be somewhere at noon today. God didn't show up. God's like, I'm not even, I created time. I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm exist outside of time. And I can go story after story in the Bible. God answers speedily 400 years later. <laughs> Dan Farrelly made this comment years ago, one of our main pastors and kind of our in-house theologian. He said, your life average 70 to 80 years is on the front end of Forever. Like, our life is just, it's just a little blip on the radar. So I want to challenge you, church, move out of expectation and move into expectancy. See, I told you it was going to be good. <laughs> okay, you got, why don't we have everyone stand? You know, this last... This last season, I've been feeling God just inviting me um, deeper and closer. And you know, there's different seasons in life. And God just create, God created our lives in seasons. And I can tell, you know, we live on property. The sun is starting to come out. Spring's coming out. The buds are starting to come out. I'm like, and God highlights different things in different seasons. And I really feel like the highlight for this season is honestly, it's time to come up the mountain, Candace. And I always am in pursuit of God. 
like I'll always come in like, Lord, you can have it all, but I feel like there's something special right now and I don't want to miss what God's inviting me to right now. And I feel like it's for us. And then Eric started talking about this message um, in Moses and I feel Lord saying, yep, come on up, Candace. And uh, we were worshiping with our staff, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And we get, it's just, just I don't know, Jeremy Riddle's on the guitar. There's a few of us in a room. So it's not this, it's not a big band, nothing major happening. But I instantly could feel like, oh, the Lord is right there. I mean, I could feel, it's like when you're, when there's a fire and you get closer and closer and you just start to feel that warmth on your face and your hair, like, be careful, don't get too close. And I could feel that in worship. And I'm like, I open my eyes, I'm like, is there, is it cloudy in here? I'm like, oh the Lord's inviting me to come closer. And I just want to say this morning, let's come closer. Do you feel like when you're saying, what makes us, what makes Moses a friend with God? I'm like, actually that we would look to him first, to him first. And with not, not to any leaders or there's no, not to someone else to do this spiritual connecting to the Lord, but actually us. He gave his son so that we could have a relationship with us. He loved us. And I feel like there's an invitation. And I always, I always open my hand before God because I'm like, Lord, that's, my, that's my, me telling him, you can have every, everything inside of me, everything that I hold in my hand, but even every part of me. And that my life, I'm not going to hold anything or hide anything from you. I actually feel like part of me, when I say come up to the mountain and seeking God, it's also letting him shine his light on every part of me. Like I'm not going to hide or keep any part of my life from you or any feelings that I have, or any worries that I have, or any offenses that I have. There's not going to be anything between me and you. Like you gave Jesus so that it tore the veil. And in um, 2 Corinthians 3, it says, and when you look to God, the veil's, the, the veil's removed. And so I'm like, that's what I want to do this morning. As a people, would you hold the person stand next to you? I actually feel like as a people that we would um, say, God, we are going to seek you. And so, Lord, we look to you this morning. Yeah, we love you. We love you. We want to be counted as a, your friend. Yeah, and I just ask, Lord, that you would shine your light on every part of us right now. Even as amazing and scary as that might be, like we love you, we trust you, and surrender everything to you. Yeah, so we just open up ourselves and we look to you. And we come up to the mountain. We want to be with you. And let your glory shine on us, every part. Yeah, I thank you for truth right now. And I just pray for truth in this room. Yep, that your truth would shine on every part of us. And that what comes with the truth is stability. That truth is what we, your truth is what we can stand on. Your truth is that you are our righteousness. Yeah, in your truth, there's not confusion. So I say no to confusion, no to confusion in our minds and our spirits. And actually right now, you can drop hands for a moment because I actually want to pray for one group of people. If you have been um, battling any type of just confusion in your mind or your spirit, sometimes there are seasons where I'm a really, I'm pretty clear-minded, clear-hearted person, but sometimes I just cannot think clear thoughts and it's this confusion that gets kind of mucky or hazy inside my brain or spirit. And if you are experiencing that at all, I want you to raise your hand and we're just gonna pray over you. And if you have someone next to you that's raising their hand, just put a hand on them. That's kind of the beauty of us being together is we get to aim our strengths towards each other. So we just wanna say just truth in Jesus' mighty name. We say no more to confusion, no more confusion. And Lord, I just pray right now for breakthrough. And we say whatever has been causing the confusion, 
go away in Jesus' mighty name. We just say clear heart and clear mind. And we just say be completely free in Jesus' mighty name. Yeah, we bless you. We bless you. Truth and clarity. Amen. 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 Okay, so now we'll just finish our prayer. So you guys are so good. You guys are just following instructions here. Oh, no, let's open up our hands because that's what we do before you, Lord. We say, here we are. We completely surrender to you, and we give everything. And if there's anything between me and you, just show me right now because I'm going to give it to you. And if he shows you, if there's anything that comes to your mind, whether it be an offense, whether it be a hurt, whether it be something that you're worried about, just ask him for forgiveness for holding it and give it to him. So, Lord, I for, I for, please forgive me for and whatever that is. Because we don't want anything between us and him. Because he loves us so much. Yeah, so we give you everything, Lord. We love you and we trust you. And we just say that you're the king of our lives. Yeah, and the king of our hearts. And I thank you, Father, for just intimacy. Lord, that we would be, we would even know more of your glory. And it would get all over us and affect who we are. And that we'd be people who stand on truth. Yeah, so I bless, I bless every single person in this room. I pray that this would be a week of extreme intimacy, like closer than you've ever known the Lord, that you would have such clarity with your eyes and your ears, that you would hear him more than anything else that you hear, and that you would have a week that you just clear spirit, clear mind. Yeah, so I bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.